What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode two of season four of the 50 plus one football podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy. And if SC Freiburg are looking for a new goalkeeper after Mark Fleckenshauler, I've got the perfect candidate. It's Lewis. That's right, guys. You know, I'm just only the 199 tall, 98 kilos. I'm putting my hat in the ring. Freiburg, you know where to find me. Anyways, usually Germany is the nation of the goalkeepers, but, you know, for some reason, we weren't this week because it wasn't only Mark Flecken who made a colossal error, let's put it that way, but we have another couple of goalkeeper errors that we're going to talk about. Then we're also going to have a look at Jamal Muziala, the rising star in German football. I mean, he scored again at the weekend. The guy is on a roll. Then we're also going to have a little debate about the penalty, or was it a penalty, in the Frankfurt Hertha BSC game. And to finish off, we'll have a look at Leverkusen's horror start to the season. Then we'll swing over to the Premier League, where we'll have a look at a team who, much like Leverkusen, have also had a horrific start to the season in Manchester United. Then we'll look at the brawl that happened between Chelsea and Spurs, Tuchel Conte. An equalizer that was very, very dubious. And Mike Dean also had something to say about that. And then we'll also finish off having a look at Nottingham Forest. They will be making their, believe it or not, 16th signing. All that and more right after this. So you said it in the intro. You are yourself one of the mad breed that is the goalkeeper. Just talk me through what on earth goes through a goalkeeper's mind when they make a howler the size that Mark Flecken made at the weekend. I mean, you just want the ground to swallow you up. But you just don't. You literally, the minute after it happens, you just don't want to be anywhere near a football pitch. You want to be somewhere at home on the sofa thinking about nothing football related it is it's one of the worst feelings i think that you can have as a footballer and you know i think goalkeepers are the mad breed as you said but you know sometimes you can only you can only put it uh, as succinctly as shit happens but you know yeah i mean it's a shot that comes relatively central. Mark Fleckman's not even making a dive for it. You know, he's, he's jumping up to catch it. In all honesty, it's one of those little bit nastier shots that are, you know, it's hard enough where a catch is already going to be a, you know, a, a solid feat almost, but it's not strong enough of a shot where you're literally just trying to, de- trying to deflect it over. And it's a, it's an, it's an iffy one, but you know, at the end of the day, seeing as a shot, you know, as I said, wasn't hard enough to be deflected. He has to be catching that. And any goalkeeper, especially someone of his stature, you know, we saw it time and time again last season, what Mark Flecking is capable of, of doing. He just has to do so much better. But, you know, he'll, he probably didn't sleep well, you know, going into this week. And, um, yeah, it, it doesn't get much worse than that. It wasn't spectacular. And for anyone that hasn't seen it, I, I please just go and watch it because it's it's it happens again. It happens with goalkeepers. Like oh, no yeah, goalkeeper that, is immune to it. You know, your good self, 
I've seen you get uh, get chipped from an yeah, area well, where you shouldn't have been chipped. And the funniest yeah. thing about that, dear listener, uh, was that his dad then left. That was not. That was pure coincidence. Let's be real. You just had to throw yeah, it in it, there. You did. It, it no. could not. It could not have been more perfectly timed. It was like two minutes after. It was just yeah. Okay, I have to go now. Got granted, it was for work. <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, my son's yeah. not very good. He got. I'm going to leave. But anyway, I just wanted well, to, to get. To that be in fair, there. I know. It, to be fair, it was it. it, it it was one of those classic, you know, he was a tad bit far out of his own box, but you know, we'll gloss over that. But yeah, I mean, no goalkeeper, as you said, is immune to it. I mean, we saw the only reason Frankfurt scored against Bayern was because Neuer, you know, committed a mistake. And, you know, I'd say Neuer at the still at this very moment in time is still the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, debate, I know, dear listeners, if you guys have any issues with that statement come find me in the comment section i will debate you till my last breath anyways flecken sadly not the only goalkeeper mistake we saw because uh and billy was really happy about this because billy spent 43 million on him for his kick base team timo vanna got his first goal right on his you know comeback in the bundesliga but it was also under dubious circumstances, as uh, as you would say. Yeah, I think any other day, any other... If that was 10 minutes before or 10 minutes after, it wouldn't go in. It was just a, a lapse of concentration from Schweber. He it, doesn't look too good. I mean, he looks like he's going, you know, like a volleyball player ready to ready to dip and and get a get a slow ball and then he just completely misses it. I mean he goes right through his arms. Arguably it's the worst of the two howlers between him and Flecken because Flecken, you know, it's a high shot and he kind of, you know, yeah, he dishes it, but Schwebet literally goes through his outstretched arms and, you know, the only thing worse than that is getting it, you know, right through your legs when it's a central shot at you as a uh, our good friend Rob Green would know i'm still not over that i was about to say i'm i'm going way back and uh opening up wounds in the past world cup 2010 anyone clint dempsey low rolling shot jared had just gotten you guys up one now don't because it's going to happen in this world cup as well that christian pulisic or someone's going to score and... I was about to say it's a rematch. You got you guys got the US in your group. The, the minute the minute they stop referring to it as the Premier League, oh please, is, no, is the is. minute I will start taking them seriously as a nation. It's anyway, the Premier League, everybody. I mean, the uh, any anyway. No, there was we're getting off there, topic. There was a third goalkeeper, Ugh. Alexander Schwolo, against Gladbach. And, and it just seems to be that any solid goalkeeper who signs with Schalke automatically just becomes worse. Like the last good goalkeeper that was at Schalke and didn't start to get progressively worse was probably Manuel Neuer. Yeah, but that's what, you know, Schalke weren't in a bad place when when yeah. um, Manuel Neuer was playing for them. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten the move. Um 
but yeah, you know, Ralf Fährmann, when he started at Schalke and Schalke were still in a good place, Ralf Fährmann was arguably, you know, had the stature of a Mark Flecken or someone like that. Um, maybe even a tad bit better. Some people had already seen him as being, you know, one of the other choices for the national team at the time. But, you know, he obviously went down downhill in, you know, just every goalkeeper, really. You know, Alex Lübe started out so well. And then after his move to Bayern became official, he just also went down the, down the tubes, really. But, yeah, now Alexander Schwartl, it's not as colossal of a mistake as the other two. But the reason he bobbles the cross that leads to the Gladbach goal from Markus Thuram is because he literally is impeded by his own center back. Now, I don't know what is trained on the Schalke training ground, but if a goalkeeper goes up and calls for it, your own teammates usually move out of the way. Usually. Different story if he doesn't call for it. That's Which what... then I'm asking then I'm asking serious questions of the goalkeeper. But it, it Either way, it just doesn't reflect well on the communication in Schalke's back line. That that's what I was going to say. Because has he actually given any indication he that that ball was his? I mean, you'd hope so because he was right to come for it. He was right to come for it, but again, I don't want to keep you know bringing this up as a as a as an excuse. But you've been spoiled through years of watching arguably the most commanding goalkeeper since Oliver Kahn, who again also played for Bayern Munich. We had some dark years in between there, you know, 2000, okay, 2010, we had an aging Hans-Jörg Butt who still got us into the Champions League final. But then after that, we had some, we had some questionable years with uh, Thomas Kraft and it took us a bit to get to Manuel Neuer, okay? We, we had to... I had to deal with some some questionable goalkeeping. Okay, you're so going to struggle when he retires as well. But that I'm that's not cry. that's not the point of of that I'm trying to make. What I mean is that you've watched a commanding goalkeeper most of your life. Oh yeah, and it's 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 almost baffling for you to see uh, Schwolo go for it, but not shout, not command his box. That's another thing. Uh, we'll move on from this. I just wanted to ask you before we move on to uh, Jamal Musiala. In training the following week or the following session, do would you, if you'd made those those mistakes uh, that Flecken and Schweber made, do you laugh it off? Do you join in with with the bands? Do you, do you take the piss out of yourself, or do you get really like pissy and serious and go, okay, well, I'm not going to make that again. It just happened. We move on. It depends. Um, you know, obviously the professionals enough to know that that's just a, you know, one-off mistake. They're not all of, all of a sudden going to go there and tell their goalkeeper training, you know, have a, a thousand shots like that taken at me because they know they should be doing better. And they, they know that they're going to not make that mistake again, obviously. But it, it I think that is where every goalkeeper individually has to find their own kind of uh you know way to deal with the mistake um I think some goalkeepers they wouldn't or they'll they'll have a hard time you know if they if the piss got taken out of them in the training after that obviously it's gonna happen some goalkeepers might react and basically say that in the, in this training session do you know what I'm going to 
like save everyone. I'm going to shut everyone up through, uh, because I'm not, because I'm that good in training other goalkeepers. Yeah. They might, you know, say, yeah, I'll laugh it off. Um, I think that's a, that's an individual call for everyone, but one thing is for damn certain after everyone's calmed down a bit, he's definitely getting the piss taken out of him for that. It's got to happen. It's, you got to, like water off a duck's back. Yeah. I mean, it, that is just the nature of the goalkeeping position. You can make a thousand good saves, but everyone's going to judge you off the one mistake that you, that you make. Um, I think Iker Casillas put it the best way is like, it's, one of the best uh, ways to prepare yourself for life because usually people in life in general will always judge you on the mistakes you make and less so on the achievements you've, you've made because you can, you can achieve so much, but you know, one mistake will, will cost you no matter, you know, if it's smaller one or, or if it's a larger one. And it is a sad way of looking at things, but arguably not wrong. Well, there you go. Come for the football chat. Stay for the philosophical life lessons. I was about to say we're going we're going very 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 much into the uh, psych psychological track here, boys and girls. You know, if you need a if you need a little bit of a psychology break, we got you. Well, let's leave goalkeeping errors. I'm just going to give you give you some some stats quickly, Lewis, to tee up the next oh, we, topic of discussion. We love good stats. We love a good stat. Three games, four goals, one assist. Man of the match in the DFL Super Cup. Man of the match day, game week one. Man of the match day, game week two. I just wonder when the Jamal Musiala hype is going to hit the mass majority because this kid's going straight to the top. Do you know what? I actually like the fact that, you know, not that many people internationally have joined in into the Musiala hype because one makes it easier for Bayern to retain him <laughs> and two I think it'll keep his head level because in Germany everyone's hopping on the Musiala hype train and I mean with good reason he's one of the featherweights in the Bayern squad and he shook off a tackle from a Wolfsburg center back that was a clear foul turned around and scored I loved that goal. I covered that goal. For, I covered that goal. And literally, in my notes, I literally just put, wow. Because he's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a roulette, but he gets tackled midway through. Yeah. Gets back up, takes one touch and rifles it into the bottom left. And it's like, you've got no right at 19 years old in Bayern Munich's first team to have one that level of confidence in yourself to the ability to actually pull it off. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that is actually the perfect, perfect title for the Jamal Muziala headline. That, that is just smack dab on the money. It is unbelievable what that kid is doing at 19 years old. Thank God he decided that he wants to play for Germany. I mean, that would have been depressing if he'd gone to play for England. He could have gone either way. But, yeah, I mean, you just you just cannot not gush over Jamal Muziala because the, ki the kid is doing things that so rarely people can at any point in their careers do, even at the highest level. And it is to play with that 
light touch with the confidence and but you know not having the way any weight on his shoulders the way he moves through defenders it basically looks like you like he can't fall over his balance and center of gravity is insane it's ridiculous and correct me if i'm wrong do they not do they not refer to him as bambi yeah it's there has there's some i get the fact that he's all arms and legs he's very gangly still he's not He's not undergone the buying transformation. He's not filled himself out. There's nothing <laughs> clumsy about him. It's all poise, grace. Oh, unbelievable. It It's going to sound really uh, almost stereotypical or like a cliche, sorry. But he plays with aura. Like there is a an unspeakable, an unspoken, you can't quite put your finger on it thing about Jamal Musiala that only comes along three or four times a generation. Oh, which is, unbelievable. Yeah. Which is a massive call to make for a 19-year-old. But, um, you know, hello, it's the Ballon d'Or calling. Yes, I'll pick up. Ooh. Ooh, are we, are we already going that far? So basically, the Golden Boy Award should be going his way 100%. Is that what you're saying? I'd say so, but it, it won't because of the amount of, of other players that are in it. And like you say, the amount of exposure. Yeah, I was about to say. I, I was about to say because thankfully the hype hasn't caught on in the sense that so many other teams are now looking at him and wanting him. But yeah, I think I think for the for the fact that you know you have the these awards play so much on you know journalism uh, recognition in basically England and Spain, and also just you know social media awareness so to speak and you know hype that that award probably won't go to him you know i it's probably a big ask but i wouldn't put it past him to overtake Jaden sancho as the highest scoring teenager i was about to say that is a big ask because we're also talking about Jaden sancho who managed 15 goals and 15 assists in a season for borussia dortmund which which was you know incredible when it's it's a, it's a war crime yeah. that, he's, that he's not playing that way, but we'll come to that. But if you're Southampton or if you're more, more so Chelsea, where, oh. he's, where he spent eight years, is there a sense of, oh, we could have had that? Yeah, but I'd argue that at Chelsea, he would never have gotten the chance to do what he did because at Bayern, you had these, you know, you had the fact that they didn't make a lot of big name transfers and they all of a sudden had that that gap in between their starting 11, maybe 12, 13 players, and then the rest of their squad that allowed him to develop. And I think at Chelsea, he wouldn't have had the time. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. So we don't see a tremendous amount of players come through at Chelsea. It is just the... Okay, granted, you know, players like Mount and Abraham, you could be cynical and say they came through because of the transfer embargo, but Reese James is fantastic. They deserve to be there. You know, it's it's that it's that yeah, yeah, that minute level, but he doesn't look out of place in Bayern Munich's starting eleven. And that's a big thing to be saying as well, because you're talking about a team that boasts the likes of Mane, Sane, Coman, Gnabry, and Müller to fill those attacking positions. And, you know, now there's even talk in, 
in Germany of the of the triple M axis, which is uh, the Mane Müller Musiala connection, and as we've seen in the first couple of games, that connection has thrived so so well. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's a scary proposition for other cl- clubs, or you know, there's a World Cup coming up at Christmas. Yeah. Sure, surely he goes, and surely it's a difficult decision for Hansi Flick to make. He's managed him before at club level. Oh, he's Muzala. If he keeps, if he keeps this level, they're going to be hard, or it's going to be hard to argue to leave him out of the starting eleven for Germany. I'm going to go that far. Obviously, in Germany, you also do have that. You know, you've obviously got a, a Kai Havertz who's going to be coming in there, who is basically the pivotal point in Chelsea um, going forward down the middle. Then you've also got, you know, a Timo Werner who's probably going to be finding back to his old form, you know, at his uh, at his former and now current club, RB Leipzig. But I think given the way Bayern play and given the way Muziala is playing, it's going to be hard not to find a spot for him. It'd just be the question of obviously a World Cup is obviously one step higher than anything Muziala has ever done. Granted, yes, he's played in Champions League matches, but um, World Cup is always different. That'd be the only, may, maybe the only point I would make about that. But I think if he keeps, or I stand by the fact that if he keeps doing what he's doing now, Hansi Flick will not be able to keep him out of the starting eleven for Germany once uh, everything kicks off in Qatar. Well, there we go. Let us know what you think. Does Jamal Musiala, well, does he deserve to start at the World Cup for Germany? Will he go to the very top of world football? We think he will, but let us know what you think. Now, let's talk... A little controversy because, Ooh. again, it was a busy weekend for me. I covered this, and at the time and now, I maintain Stonewall penalty that Christensen gave away against Frankfurt. See, I would argue that it's not a Stonewall penalty. The contact is there, yes, but it is very little in my eyes if you look at the replays obviously you can see you know the contact being made and i think the replays that's one of the main deficits that var has is because if you only show a referee the replays you get stuff where you know for instance a tackle looks so much more brutal than it was in uh, normal time which is why i think generally you should always include like a normal time replay as well as a slow motion replay of the incident. If you take a look at it in real time, for me, it's a 50-50. There is contact there, which is why they couldn't have, you know, been too surprised about 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 a penalty being given because, you know, as you say, there is contact there. The hand definitely touches the foot. Uh, The hand of the goalkeeper touches Bore's foot. Um, it's not like it's it's it was a nothing call, but I think for me it is still a very it would have been a soft penalty to give, and I stand by that. 
But Billy, you definitely uh, you're, you said stonewall penalties. So let's hear your, it's, it's your just, reasoning. It's just the fact that Bore he touches the ball away from Christensen. His hand comes out and you know essentially grabs his ankle nearly. Is is where I'm is where I'm coming from. You know, you could slow it down, but at full speed, there's contact with his ankle, which is a you know it's gonna send you down if you're running at full speed if someone is essentially tap tackling you. And the referee, I, I, get, that. I get that. Yeah, you know, the, the referee had no problem. It was a straight away. That is a penalty, and it took forever. Oh, VAR in general took forever. I think Bayern were waiting for an offside call on a Mane goal against Wolfsburg for about three minutes. Yeah, it was about three and a half minutes, and he was about a foot offside. So it wasn't the best weekend for VAR in the Bundesliga. Oh, but it ha- when has it ever been a good weekend for the VAR in either the Bundesliga or the Premier League? Let's be yeah, real. Yeah, that's, that's true. It has a... Do you know what's going to be, you know be really funny? They're, they're using those semi-automated uh, linesmen at the World Cup. That's going to cause absolute Oh, Jesus bedlam. Christ. But again, we can come to that if and when it happens. But it uh, took, I was about to say, yeah. It took about five minutes. And it was like, are, are you looking for an excuse not to give this penalty? Because that's not the point of VAR. VAR no. is, is there to correct decisions you know you don't always need to double check a decision the referee had a great view of it he wasn't obscured by anyone and it was lit it was a complete straight decision but it was you know obviously we can't hear the conversation that goes on which but, is also annoying but uh, you you don't just another point yeah but you'd imagine if it takes that long they're not looking at the same thing you know We've seen it in the Premier League a few times. You know, they'll they'll look at decision, then they'll go, mm, "Okay, um, oh, uh, was there an offside there, or or what about that? Was was there a foul in the background?" It's like they're almost looking for an excuse to use VAR. No, that that's the wrong that's the wrong application of it. I'm with you on that, but you know, coming back to the to the incident, I think if you take a look at it, Bore takes another step after contact is made, and it seems as if. Bore had like a split second where he thought in his mind, oh, I've just felt a contact. If I go down now, I might actually have a good chance at a penalty. And for me, he falls too late, which is for me the too much of a theatrical bit, which in turn makes it a soft penalty for me to, uh, for me to be giving. That's, you know, the full reasoning of it. I can see why it's been given. And you know they still can't. You know Berlin can't be too pissed if it if it stays. But I still think it wasn't. You know the completely wrong decision to not give it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. With that extra step, it's almost like he's felt the contact and then reacted. It's not like he's been clean. He's been cleaned out. I'll give you. That. Yeah. No. That's. Yeah, I think that's, that's what I mean. That's. I think it's the same thing. situation as the one we had last week. I think it's one of those ones where if it had been given, you can't really complain. No one's going to be a hundred, you know, not everyone. There's always going to be someone unhappy with that decision, but let us know what you think. Was it a penalty on Rafael Santos Bore or uh, did VAR after a rather lengthy spell get this one right? 
Okay, well, then. I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just going to add in oh. one little more controver- controversial bit. I remember I said that Van Dyke, I was also saying it was a soft penalty to give. Van Dyke against Mitrovic is more of a penalty than that one in uh, Frankfurt versus Berlin. Do you know what? I'm going to chalk that up as a win for me, I think. <laughs> I'm going to chalk 1-0. Okay, but how is it 1-0? Yeah, but I'm still saying, I'm still standing by my my decision right now. Yeah, but that wasn't a penalty and that was the right decision to be made. So mm. how is that a 1-0? If at all, it'd be a 1-1. Nah, 1-0. That sounds like a man backtracking on his own decision. Oh, come on. Anyway, before we fall out, <laughs> let's move on to a team that last season, they looked good, didn't they? And uh, they did. one player yeah. got injured and this season it really hasn't been a great start. Is no, it I... just? Is it just because of the absence of Florian Vets? Because it's pretty much the same team, other than that. I'd argue no, because if you look at the chances they had against Dortmund, it's obviously not for lack of the lack of shots on goal. For instance, the conversion against Dortmund was shocking, to say the least. Not not just because Gregor Kobe had one of his best days in a Dortmund shirt, but you know, the, Schick was a couple of times alone in front of goal, and Kobe still pulled out a save. And for a man who scored twenty four goals in twenty seven appearances for Leverkusen last season, definitely as Total Wolf of uh, Mercedes uh, Petronas F one AMG team would say. A fucking shit day at the office. You don't need to put on the accent. You're already German. No, but you have to put on the accent because Total Wolf's accent is the best thing going. It's a fucking shit day at the office. But I mean, it's right up there with his best quotes, and uh, you know the one where he where he orders his breakfast. Oh, that's almost neurotic. (laughs) It's like. Which translated means he wants the so pumpernickel basically the it's a it's a really dark uh whole wheat bread. I mean it's a crap this uh crap description, but basically it's a really thin slice and he he really also wants it toasted so that it's basically rock hard. And then he also wants uh, coffee with uh, lactose-free milk. Um, but yeah, it's the accent that makes it. Anyways, we're getting sidetracked because this is an F1 podcast. But anyways, yeah. So we're going back to Leverkusen. It wasn't just that day that was, you know, a shit day at the office. Their whole season start has been a shit day at the office because, you know, they're losing in the first round of the DFB Pokal. And they're losing to a team who currently sit fourth in the third league, so third tier, in SV Elversberg. Yeah, but Lewis, that's the magic of the cup. It is the magic of the cup, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that Leverkusen had a shitter to start with. Yeah, no, okay, yeah, it started bad, it just got worse. But the one thing I want to focus on, because their first two games... They've had you can you can lose to Dortmund. Let's yeah let's yeah take that's that. yeah that's that's acceptable. You can lose to Dortmund. I don't think anyone would be 
crisis mode after that. But a 2-1 loss to Augsburg. One of the teams who Didi Hamann has pegged to go down and be relegated this season. Oh, man. Ricardo Pepe is going to bring the sauce this year. Anyway, oh, he's been he's been he's been uh, touted as being one of the worst signings for Augsburg, and he's the record signing oh, as well. God oh, alive, it's just, uh, it's, it's just not going well for them in that department. But anyways, don't buy American. But the point I wanted <laughs> the point I wanted to make was in those two games, they've had an almost identical eleven apart from the number ten position against Dortmund. It was Karim Bemirabai. And against yeah. Augsburg, it was as moon. They really are struggling without Florian Wirtz. But yeah, that but can't he, be the sole reason. It can't be the sole reason because they're conceding goals as well. You know, that's obviously down to the defense. And, you know, the absence of Florian Wirtz is not going to lead to Dortmund conceding. I mean, lead to Leverkusen conceding more than they should be. I'm sorry, that's a defensive error. And you know, granted, Lukas Radetzky didn't exactly put him in, put himself in yeah. the best light by handling the ball outside of his box intentionally and getting a red card for it. You know, that's not exactly the first, the way you want to start the season. But you know, kudos, Lucas, you did it. Um, it 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 just. Their whole start has just been one massive horror story, really. Because they, you know, they finished third. They have aspirations to be in the Champions League and make it out of the group stages, minimum. It's going to be a tough ask. It really, I mean, they've got Hoffenheim this Saturday coming. And they're not, I mean, Hoffenheim are always, you know, they're that mid-table club who could be really nasty to play against if you're, you know, vying for top six. Because Hoffenheim, well, historically, they're also the ones who are trying to get into that top, into the Europa League places. Well, you know, they, they ground out that result against Bochum. Yeah. You know, after letting Zola score twice in three minutes, they then went and won 3-2 in the end. So that they're not they're not going to lie down. And if if they get chances, they probably will take them. And it looks like this Leverkusen side are going to give it to them. Yeah. Is it a case of, you know, is, is Jonathan Tarr, is he, is he now just past it? Is Jeremy Frimpong probably not, you know, is he, is he better as a wing back than a, than a, a more defensively minded fullback? Would someone I mean, like Timothy Fossu Mensa not fit better? Yeah, the, the latter point I'm definitely agreeing with you on because I think Frimpong is more of that attacking-minded wing-back position. Jonathan Ta has been—he's one of those one of those uh, hard players to read because it seems like he's been a talent now, you know, a young emerging talent for like the better part of the last five years. You know, it's almost like that same type of thing where you would think Thomas Müller has been 32 for the last 10 years. Yeah, can I just make a quick admission here? Mm. He's 26. Yeah, that's what, what I mean. What the fuck? I thought he was in his 30s. Jesus Christ, Phil. My man, time has not been kind to you. 
Yeah, but that's what I mean. You know, like for the past five years, he's kind of. Yeah, but for the past five years, he's kind of been in that. You know, oh yeah, he's he's a very good player for his age. Just wait till he get reaches his full potential. But the point, the problem is, is right. You know, at twenty six, you should be reaching your full potential. These are his prime years, and it seems like it's not completely clicked for him yet. He's good on his day, but his consistency is still that of a you know a twenty two year old who's trying to find footing. And that just isn't enough when that's supposed to be your leader in the center back position, keeping your back line for like form. That's what I mean. He's he's six five, he's strong, he's relatively quick for a centre half. He's twenty six. He's made nearly two hundred appearances for Leverkusen. He should be, you know, one of the most sought after centre halves in the world. He is that archetypal big strong, quick, like a Rolls-Royce centre-half build. But like I say, his consistency is absolutely shocking. Yeah, there's there'll be games where he has, you know, the game of his life, and then and then the next week, he'll have like a shocker where he, he, he lets a ball roll under his foot, and then, you know, the striker runs onto it or something, you know, insane like that, and he has, you know, a howler. So it's... Yeah, it's just it's just all it's too much of you know all over the shop with you know, with his performances because I think that's the main reason that he has made it with Leverkusen thus far is because he still does have enough of the good games to show you know he is good enough to be on that level but to take his game to the very top the consistency still is lacking. Yeah, sorry. Last thing on on Jonathan Tart. While I was just looking up for some for some stats, I found a uh, a post on an Arsenal blog from two years ago. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Three reasons why Jonathan Tart is better than Dea Upamecano. Even two years ago, that just wasn't the case. And they started no, really off. Wasn't. They started off fantastically. Arsenal's defense is filling in quite nicely. All of a sudden, with Mikel Arteta in charge, Skodran Mustafi and David Luiz look like wholesome, impactful centre-backs capable of carrying this team forward. When was <laughs> David Luiz a wholesome, impactful defender ever? <laughs> David Luiz had some good years in him, but I don't think I would ever... But none at Arsenal. He had good years say, at Chelsea all... the first time and PSG. And then Chelsea the second time round just didn't click for him. And I mean, I'm sorry, but when was David Luiz wholesome and impactful? You know, the impactful maybe, but wholesome? No. And never at <laughs> Arsenal. One of the worst German centre-backs to ever play professional football. And sideshow Bob. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Um, what needs to happen? What has to change? What has to click? for Leverkusen because it can't you know I refuse to believe Florian Wirtz comes back into this team and everything magically starts working again well, I think Patrick Schick has to score for one thing you know well, I think it, it would help the missed chance the missed chances in the in the Dortmund game alone were just you know Dortmund arguably should have lost that match they scored in the ninth minute and yes they also did have their chances but Leverkusen were peppering that goal and Gregor Kube, as I have said time and time again, had one of his best games ever. 
But I think, I mean, if they can get, you know, Patrick Schick back on the form that he was, and Jonathan Ta can finally get that consistency going, then yeah. But I, it's just the goals they've conceded, man. Like, like, like you said, it's not just the absence of Florian Wirtz. They conceded four against a third league team. Yeah, it, that shouldn't be happening on any stage. No, you don't want to rob them of that victory because that's a massive scout for them to take Leverkusen no, out. No, by no, no you, means. By no if means. you look at it from a Leverkusen perspective, it is how on earth? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So, last question from me on this before we move to the Premier League, because there's a, a little bit of semi-breaking news uh, for the Premier League. But just quickly, couple minutes on this. When do you give up with Jonathan Tarr? When do you say, look, we've tried, we've been patient. The, the, the ceiling is right up there. But you've just not got past the first floor. Oh, that's a hard one. Because how, you've got... Yeah, how, do, yeah, how, do you, how do you find that point? Because the thing is also, Leverkusen... It's not like they're going to be getting a center back who could, you know, even adequately replace Jonathan Ta right off the bat. That's the problem because a center back in Jonathan Ta, he's still, you still have to say he's got the experience. He's definitely shown that he has the potential to be a very good center back. How many other center backs are you going to be able to sign who can give you that, who aren't going to cost you? way more money than you might have, especially if you have to replace a player like Florian Wurz in one or two years' time. Well, that's going to be the uh, the big question, isn't it? I think, well, let us know what you would do. How do you solve a problem like Jonathan Tarr? We'd love to hear what you guys think, but I think now it's time to move over to the Premier League. Salah! Can we get the uh, the bad out of the way first? Because there's, yes, there's, please, a, there's a little bit of, of se- semi-breaking news. So yeah, okay, let's go for it. After the uh, four goals in 35 first half minutes, of which I was sat Oof. here at literally stunned silence. There were I couldn't even get angry. Wow. Stunned silence. Ouch. But we'll talk about that in that in a second. So United come out of nowhere, came out yesterday. Uh, they are quickly close to completing a deal worth an initial 60 million euros plus 10 additional euros for uh, Real Madrid midfielder Casemiro. What, 60 million plus 10 additional euros there? You mean 10 million, right? What did I say? Just 10 euros? Yeah, just just the 10 if he if he makes <laughs> this many appearances. Yes, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a tenner in the, in the mail. Won't even be a check. It'll just be a tenner. <laughs> we'll even do it in pounds. It doesn't matter. <laughs> are you are you quite finished? Yeah. Okay, that's one all for for my uh, your dad leaving your 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 That's one all. <laughs> but you know, and we can we can take a, a deeper dive into this if and when the deal goes through. But for years, that's been the biggest thing. Oh, there's yeah, not been there's not been a genuine there's not been a genuine defensive midfielder in that midfield for years. 
and we'll we'll uh we'll, we'll credit him here quickly because uh, you know your friend of mine Casey Evans we've had him on before oh yeah uh Big he uh he called the signing of Casemiro it's more of a securing the floor rather than raising the ceiling yeah which i, I think, think also, yeah you know you can want anthony or you want you can you can want flair forwards for days you can have them all but if you've not got that structure defensively which united didn't against brentford they didn't against brighton then you know you're going to have a bad time well yeah i think also you have to give um well, you you have to also take a look at what you really need in that United team, as you said, you need someone to plug holes, and you just need United just need that unglamorous position of that center defensive mid, midfield role filled by someone who can definitely do it week in week out. And the reason Real Madrid's midfield dominated in those years where they actually won, you know, the the Champions Leagues. The Champions League titles back to back was because you had Kors and Modulich who were spraying passes left and right because they knew that if something should go wrong behind them, they had a brick wall in Casemiro who just came through and, if need be, took the yellow card on his shoulders but absolutely broke someone's ankle, figuratively speaking, obviously. But he was just that guy, you know, the guy who basically just comes through like a bulldozer and make sure, you know what, you know, we're not even going to let him get to our center backs. That's that. And that's someone who United are definitely in the market for. Because I think, and that proves a perfect segue into, I think, our United bit now. And there was a really interesting quote that I saw from one of the Sky Sports commentators, Tony Tomic, who said, if you look at the players that United have spent God knows how much on in the last five years, there is not one player who is taking his market value to greater heights after his United signing. Would you agree? No. I know he's not having a good moment, a good time at the moment, but Bruno Fernandes, that first season and a half. I'm not, a, that... I, I know he's not, he didn't have a great season last season. He's not started great this season, but that first season and a half, I've not seen a player have that sort of impact in a good long while at United. Especially on a on a January or winter transfer as well, because those I'll, usually never go well. I'll grant you, most of them have been shit. Uh, the, that, next... was, that was my other question. That would be my follow-up question. It's basically, if you take Bruno Fernandes out of that equation, would you say that that statement is accurate, that in the last five years, every player who is basically signed for United has ended up dropping in market value. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the numbers being thrown around about Aaron Wan-Bissaka. We signed him for 50 million from Palace and there's talk of him going back to Palace for 10. I don't think anyone would touch Harry Maguire for less than, or, or for more than oh, no, you know, 15 to, to 20. You'd have to pay someone else to take Harry Maguire. The only way... That- Genuinely, yeah. the only way he leaves this United side is if he goes on a free. No one's touching him. Oh, so do you think that that is just going to be the plan that Harry Maguire basically runs out his contract at United and then that's it? 
He's not as bad as everyone makes out. Look, he's not as bad as everyone makes out. There's this meme culture around Harry Maguire, which, yeah, okay, you can make mistakes, but it's not deserved the amount of absolute lampooning he gets. Yeah, okay, I'll give you, I'll uh, give you, I'll give you that. Yeah, long and short of it is the only way he leaves this United side is when his contract expires. Is that just the best possible scenario for? every party involved i don't know because he could turn he could turn his you know we've seen players turn their careers around like, yeah definitely you know we'll move on from from maguire his center back partnership against brentford was lissandro martinez he had his patrice ever moment you know patrice ever when he first joined united he was we played uh, manchester city he had an absolute shocker he was taken off at half time yeah Arguably one of our best left backs. Yeah, yeah. You know, Varane came on. United looked a lot more solid, you know, as you would expect from a World Cup, multiple Champions League winning centre-half playing in your back four. Obviously. It's difficult because I, I don't know. You, no one knows what, what really goes on. But there were all those reports that afterwards Ten Hag cancelled the day off and made them come in and made them all run 13 kilometers which is how much more brentford ran than united from minute one they wanted it more they pressed higher they pressed harder everything that they had more desire but there's this there's this narrative in England, I don't know if it's the same in Germany, around Alessandro Martinez that because he's short, that's why he is bad. And they yeah. asked they asked Ivan Ivan Tony about this afterwards. And they were like, Oh look, you you targeted him with long balls or or you 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 pressured him with long balls, you tried to beat him in the air and he, he shut down the interview straight away and went, No, like the reason we scored was from the pressure, was from the presses we made. And that fourth goal they scored, f- fucking mwah. counter-attack of counter-attacks. It was fantastic. It was like th- three, four passes from their box to goal. Yeah, I mean, taking I'm taking nothing away from Brentford's, I mean, uh, yeah, Brentford's um, performance. They're definitely not. Because they deserve the praise they got. You know, you don't just rock up and make a team that has Cristiano Ronaldo in their starting eleven look like that and go up four 0 after thirty minutes. I I couldn't believe my eyes when I when I looked at that scoreline. That was insane. David de Gea. Should we be talking about the fact that Dean Henderson right now is on loan at Nottingham Forest? And you have David De Gea in goal who's doing stuff like that. Shot the worst thing was. What? The next day I sat and watched Dean Henderson command his box, come for crosses, save a penalty, and hold on to it. It literally it was <laughs> rubbing salt in an open wound. But the the thing I wanted to mention about De Gea is I think this was back in like season one, you know, when I was yeah, young when was and twi- yeah, when fresh faced. You know, I was young fresh-faced and hopeful full of (laughs) full of ambition but i made the point that david de gea had almost made up a bank of 
IOUs for you know the the fantastic saves he made. You know when he made a fantastic double save against Arsenal, or you know he was the best goalkeeper in the league for a couple of seasons. Well, that one save that he had with his foot on the line at the Bernabeu in um, in the Champions League quarterfinal. I want to say it was 2014-15 season. No, it was his, uh, it was Fergie's last Champions League campaign. That's the one. But yeah, you know, saves like those are the ones that, you know, get him or the the ones that you remember. But that bank You just have to say that bank has run dry. There's nothing oh, yeah. left. There's nothing left in there. So honest to f- <laughs> Okay, I've got to ask you again, because I asked you about Flecken. You know, why? He goes to scoop it up, but he doesn't put his body behind the ball. Is that a concentration thing? Is it a... What? Well, the thing is, you don't don't necessarily... I mean, as a goalkeeper, you know, every goalkeeper will tell you this, but you you don't consciously think about the fact that you're going for the ball in a certain way. It's not like David De Gea woke up that day and was like, do you know what? I'm going to go scoop it like that. And, you know, I think that'll be a better way to save it. And then in the end, it just doesn't go well. For me, it usually is like a, like, you know, a concentration thing. So like the, the easiest saves that a goalkeeper misses is because he's almost too, or he's overconfident in the fact that he can get it or she can get it. Is a, it, they basically say, you know, oh, do you know what? This shot, I got this. And that's the minute that exact thought is when you say, is when the mistake happens. It's because you think you already got the ball, even though you don't have it. And, you know, it might be a bit far-fetched, um, but, you know, to say it ain't over until the fat lady sings, you don't have the ball in your hands until you have the ball safely in your hands. And sometimes it's that thing of, you know, you think that this shot is so easy or it's coming at you so slow or whatnot that it just basically you already think you have the ball covered before you even have the ball in your hands. And I'd argue that's probably the same thing that happened to Flecken. That's probably the same thing that happened to Schwebe because arguably Schwebe and De Gea, almost a carbon copy of the way they went for the ball and they both missed it. So, Yeah. yeah, long story short. It's not necessarily a concentration effort or error, but it's a thing of being too confident or overconfident that it's a simpler thing. And, you know, it's always the, it's, there's that saying or one of the many sayings for goalkeepers is you'd rather have a goalkeeper who does the simple things right and can't make the greatest saves than a goalkeeper who pulls out, you know, saves that, you know, you don't think are ever going to be made, but then, you know, bobbles an easy shot. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that now is David Day. Yeah. So, as simple, yeah, as, as bad as it sounds, the guy still is capable of making insane saves, but the simplest shots get seem to get past him now. Yeah, and, you know, there's all this stuff, you know, linked with Jan Zommer as an experienced backup to David De Gea. No, if you bring Jan Zommer in... He starts. He starts. Over, he, starts he starts over De Gea. I'm sorry, but any anyone who tells me that Jan Zommer would be benched by De Gea does not 
or needs to have their facts checked and needs to start watching some of Jan Zoma's best highlights. Well, we can uh, come to that bridge if and when but yeah. it happens. Yeah. But look, take nothing. It's the same thing as last week. Take nothing away from Brentford because, the, as again, it's the same as last week. As bad as United were, Brentford, they were just that good. Unreal. Thomas Frank's done fantastically well with that side. Yeah, and you have to say this is without a Christian Eriksen, who yeah. arguably was one of the reasons they stayed up. Yeah, no, season. he was. He was. He helped. He contributed a lot to their to their survival. But well, you know, let us know. Will the potential signing of Casemiro do anything to fix Manchester United? You know, there's all the the takeover talk, but we're not getting into that. Uh, because I've not got the emotional stability oh, right Christ. now. I was going to say, I think that's a perfect time to uh, move over to something that I think made us all chuckle. And that was the UFC brawl that was Chelsea v Spurs. Box office. Oh, it doesn't. They, they might as well have made put that match on pay-per-view. Come on. You need uh, Michael Buffer in the middle with uh, with his microphone out. Let's get ready to rumble. What is it? To the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. Oh, the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. Let's get ready to rumble. Oh, that'd be, that'd be insane. And then you go. Oh, it'd be great. Except when you saw. Conte and Tula get into it. There was nothing happy about that. That was definitely not going to be if if they'd been let, you know, to just do as they please. That would not have been a spirited boxing match. That would have been an all-out UFC brawl. No rules. I, I get emotions run high. Okay, and. Yeah, okay. Mike Dean, who was the VAR for this game, has come out in the last like three, four hours and said, hands up, I made a mistake. You know, Christian Romero pulling the hair of Mark Kukulea. I made a mistake with that. That's a foul. I should have pulled it back. The, The only positive to come out of that hair pull was the video of Louis Van Gaal recirculating Twitter when he was talking about someone doing it to Marouane Fellaini. And, he was, <laughs> and uh, you know, paraphrasing, but something like, uh, the only place you're allowed to do this is in sex masochism. <laughs> Bring him back. I was going to say, there's just something about the media training there. We already said it with Erling Haaland last week. Do not media train that man. Also, never media train Louis van Gaal. <laughs> going back to the game, you first of all, Koulibaly. <laughs> Jesus. That volley was absolutely insane. Do you know what? I hate the fact he plays for Chelsea, but I'm so glad I get to watch him more regularly. He hit that like it owed him money. Oh, honestly. <laughs> he's such a good centre-half. It's unreal. And, you know, and I said it uh, when we were talking about Musiala, but Reese James as well is up there. Oh, yeah. I think if 
you know, Trent's not had the best start uh, no. to the season. He didn't do well in the Champions League final either. Genuinely, I think Reese James is probably... Uh, he's going to be edging Trent Alexander-Arnold for their starting place in the at England the World squad. Cup, especially yeah. because Gareth Southgate plays a three at the back with wing-backs. I was about to say, if if you want to have a wing-back, I'd rather have a... Reese James than a Trent Alexander Arnold. I know that's a bold shout, but I'm saying it anyway. I stand so, by that. So, <laughs> so let's get into this uh, scrap quickly. So, round one, we'll, we'll call it, was Antonio Conte celebrating in Thomas Tuchel's face after uh, Pierre Emil Hoiberg equalized after 68 minutes. There was a bit of a oh, tussle. Bayern, man. <laughs> they had to get pushed apart genuinely forget he ever played for Bayern Munich he's actually the he's actually a treble winner because he was 18 at the time when that when that happened the 2013 treble winner Christ alive exactly but anyways yeah I'm sorry but I'm standing with I'm standing with my compatriot Tuchel here because if someone got in my face after scoring like that you'd have to hold me back as well because I'm sorry that's just uh, that that match just has confirmed to me that I think you know, I don't know. I just I just don't like Conte. I think he's a little prick. Goodness me, he's not. He's a fiery Italian man. Uh, round two, I'd say that definitely went to Thomas Tuchel. He went full Mourinho and sprinted past his uh his <laughs> number right down to the corner flag to celebrate uh, with Reese James. Which oh, was a it's a spectacle. I enjoy it. More managers should do it. You know, I want Paolo Di Canio on his knees type. Ripping yeah, ripping holes into his suit. Yeah. Uh I I've got to say though, like the, the best thing was the second full on scrap, which happened post match when Tuche shakes goes to shake Conte's hand and then does not let go. And Conte then obviously, like, literally that sets off his fuse quicker than, you know, quicker than lightning would. And then Tula is just basically telling Conte, look me in the eye when you shake my hand. It's basically Tula just, like, teaching Conte manners, even though they're both full-grown men. And then to go to the pre to, to the post-match press conference, not only say, oh, do you know what? It's a bit of, you know, uh, emotions in the game, you know, all that. But to then go and flex his bicep at the camera just to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's go. Let's go. It's just, oh, Thomas Tuchel, box office. Definitely that battle goes to Thomas Tuchel, hands down. So they were both sent off, which is, yeah, it's you know, fair. It affects it both acted out, yeah. Yeah, it's fair, but they it affects clubs in different way when you don't have a manager on the touchline. It'll be remain oh, to be seen. But it was the comments Tuchel made afterwards. You know, you can flex your biceps for the for the press all you want, but he it was very adamant that Anthony Taylor, the referee, uh, was against Chelsea and should never referee them again. That's a bit over the top. Uh, it's over the top, yeah. and he can be investigated by the FA and potentially mm -hmm. fined for it. But, you know, Antonio Conte has said, look, it's just a heat of the moment comment. He Antonio Conte's, uh, you know, urged it to just be 
left. It is what it is. It's happened. It's done. They've both been sent off. That's, Just leave. That's, it. that's interesting because I'd argue that Antonio Conte, up to that comment, he wasn't really saying, you know, uh, it's just heat of, heat of the moment because he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not an aggressive guy, but I, or I'm, I'm, you know, if someone comes at me aggressive, I react aggressive. And he was like, he didn't seem to be on the track of, yeah, you know what, it's just, it was heat of the moment and now it's died down, you know, I'm all good. It seemed like Conte was still very much holding on to some some deep-seated anger there on the press conference whereas Tuchel was just like ah oh, do you know what that's just football that's just how it is who knows it's uh we love those types of scraps though those types of managerial rivalries Klopp and Guardiola yeah okay they're good but they're too nice to each other they've got too much uh they got too much respect for each other yeah yeah you know I want to see a Pep Mourinho thing between Ooh. Pep and Klopp I don't want to see hugs and kisses before a, before a, a title decide. I want to see, you know, not looking, just stick your hand out. Bring yeah. that back. But I was yeah, 100%. You know, Klopp is just box office because, you know, he because of that one press conference where he's like, "Oh, the translator, he's got a really erotic voice." Ah, lucky you. Yeah, no, he's like, "Congratulations." <laughs> She's not paying attention to the question at all. It's just, no. wow, this guy's voice is really erotic. <laughs> it's the eyes to the side. Like, is this, are you taking the piss? Is this real? <laughs> but let's finish oh, with the Premier geez. League. Let's end this episode on the new boys. They're the back. New boys. Nottingham Forest. And uh, like you said in the intro, they're poised yeah. to make their 16th signing. But just let me read out the 15 they've already made. And this should make for some uh, for some box office hits for the fact that this is a team newly promoted to the Premier League. Taiwo Awoni from Union Berlin. My 15 guy. goals in the Bundesliga. Neko Williams from Liverpool. Also Eman- one of the top prospects. Emmanuel Dennis from Watford. Solid on his day. Aurel Mangala from Stuttgart. Musa yeah. Nikite from uh, oh, one of the, from Mainz, one of the most solid center backs in the uh, in the Bundesliga last season, and the one of the main reasons Mainz were you know a solid mid table club and not fighting against the relegation to the last day. Uh, Julian or Julian Biancone, Remo Freuler, Omar Richards from Bayern. I mean that the fact that they spent. 10 million on him is just a freaking joke because the guy literally I don't think he he didn't clock over a thousand minutes last Bundesliga season that's saying something someone's got to be sold haven't they Uh, they've signed a duo from Huddersfield Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo Brendan oh no sorry Brandon Aguilera Jesse Lingard Cheku Kuyate Wayne Hennessy and Dean Henderson and they're going to sign Morgan Gibbs White from Wolves for up to forty-four and a half million pounds. The only two teams in the Premier League that have spent more than Nottingham Forest are Arsenal and Chelsea. I'll say this now: the Premier League has, or the teams in the Premier League have, way too much freaking money. Best way too much broadcasting the, revenue. 
the broadcasting revenue is insane in the premier league they're out selling they're out spending the bundesliga two to one minimum on broadcasting rights when your your last place club is making more money off the fact that they got 20th in the premier league than bayern winning their 10th title in a row you know that there is some massive wage disparity in tv rights and that is insane no team in the bundesliga would make a tenth of those signings you know transfer fee wise i mean not even for, you just said it they've got the third highest amount of transfer money spent no no newly promoted team should be spending anywhere close to that amount of money what can That's i say unbelievable <laughs> you've got to get that sweet sweet wedge hey that dollar dollar bill y'all the only thing i will say and i am just making double sure now because the championship playoff is known as the richest game in football because of yeah, the broadcasting have, money because of, because not just because of the of the money you get for getting promoted but because of the amount of broadcasting revenue you know is coming your way minimum next season yeah so for winning the playoff to come up from the championship it's around a hundred million pounds that alone is already on, staggering on top of what you'll get in broadcasting revenue you know if you come second yeah okay you get prize money but it's nowhere near enough or nowhere near as much as you get for for winning the playoff the only difference is you can risk finishing third fourth fifth or sixth and coming up via the playoffs but you may not win three games yeah you know we've seen it derby under super frank they look really <laughs> good they beat leeds in the in the playoffs i went to wembley and got battered by aston villa so you know there's no guarantee and it remains to be seen if, if all those players will gel they replaced half their squad basically well you know the, the goalkeeper uh bamba who you know pulled off the heroics from the penalty spot he wanted to leave so that you know they brought in wayne hennessy on a free transfer from burnley and they've got dean henderson on loan from manchester united you know wayne hennessy's been around long enough to be a decent backup and dean henderson coming goalkeeper yeah quite rightly said he was like a caged animal for the last year having not played for 12 months so yeah you've got a hungry young goalkeeper and an experienced one that's fine that's great you've got Musini Akite, who is one of the most highly rated center backs in the bundesliga outside of dortmund and bayern and leipzig maybe yeah yeah maybe i'd put him a, a close second behind nico schlotterbeck last season damn that high he was fantastic. You know, Tyler Awani got 15 goals last season for Union Berlin, who no one thought would do anything. And now they're playing in Europe because yeah. of goals from him. Yeah. But I get the I get the disparity thing, the amount of money, the the difference in what newly promoted teams in England can spend compared to what newly promoted teams from Germany, Spain, Italy, France, you know, they can spend what, a tenth of that? if they're lucky just put it into perspective nottingham forest are going to be outspending bayern in bayern's highest ever spending transfer window just let that sink in 
And we're talking about Bayern signing players like Delict and and Mane in one in one fail swoop. And Nottingham Forest are outspending a club the size of Bayern. I'm sorry, but the last time Nottingham Forest were relevant were like in the 70s when they actually won two Champions Leagues. I uh, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, just before we end, we'll end it on Nottingham Forest there. Um, just before we end, a little anecdote for. Uh, I'm going to take a late two-one lead here, Lewis, because in an excitement-fueled message, Lewis sent me a uh, Casemiro with the eyes. I was like, yeah, it's just not going to happen. This was before that this evening's revelations. He then sent me a link to a fake Fabrizio Romano Twitter page. Disclaimer, I did not look at the thingy. I just saw it because it's, they even used the same they use the same profile picture. Yeah, but it's a blue tick. How it's a white background. How can you Yeah, not but you, see? I didn't look at the I looked only at the notification on my phone. Anyway. And then yes, my excitement got the better of me because <laughs> I thought finally your club is getting some much needed top signing. But seeing as those rumors now seem to be solidifying into some actual rumors, I'm not taking the L on this one. <laughs> yes, because you if are. This actually, no, if this one actually goes through, I will have called it before you even thought there was any hope of it happening. Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, a tweet from the actual Fabrizio Romano, not your fake friend mm. one uh united will send official bid for casemiro tonight in order to close the deal on friday 60 million euro fee 10 million fee in add-ons real madrid are expected to accept in the next hours united offering a contract valid until june 26 plus the option of a further year so uh yeah, see so why are, okay first of all why are you complaining and second of all i'm not, I'm not complaining taking the L on this i'm not complaining you are taking the l on this no because it was a fake Twitter account. This was before. This was just when we thought it was another linked name. This is when we thought it was another Malinka when, Savage. When or... did I? Okay, hold on, hold on. This these revelations have happened in the last say twelve yeah. hours. Yeah, and when you sent that to I me yesterday. When, hold on, yeah. I sent you. Was it this I morning? sent you the Twitter thing. I sent you the thing. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, okay, Wednesday. Fine. Yesterday, take the L. No, I'm not taking the L. Andrew's no. at the back post. 91st minute, 2-1. That's all the time we have for this week. Hell no, I'm not taking the L on that. VAR comes back. <laughs> this gold disallowed. Boom. Okay, look, I'll, I'll concede. I'll concede. It's, 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 it looks like it's going to happen, so I'll let exactly you get so. away with that one. But you're a journalist, man. Look for the blue tick at least. Well, I'm still not taking the L. <laughs> I think on that note, do not forget to like, share, and subscribe to 80 Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are posting daily updates on everything that is going around in the world of the Bundesliga and the Premier League. And also make sure to check out the previous three seasons of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You might get some cool little insiders, or you just want to have a laugh. But as always... Thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.